Hello and welcome to the 6++ Plus Show, a podcast for your wargaming and 40k needs. Hobby talk, tactics, tournament reports, lore and much more. We have it all. Please welcome your host for the evening, Tom. Welcome ladies, gentlemen and exalted 8bound to that 6++ show. I am your host Tom, and I am very excited because tonight I am joined by one of the current forty gray forty k greats, the one and only Stephen Box. How are you doing, Stephen? How you doing, mate? Great to be here. Thanks for so much having me on. Yeah, really excited for this. Uh, been to, been chatting about it for a little while, so really, really cool to get it into fruition. And today we're going to be talking about world eaters um, and delving into the the realm of melee combat and all of that kind of in your face sort of aggro action, which is something sort of as a follower of your your sort of successes and your list is something I know you're a big fan of. So I'm really excited to hear um, how you how you've kind of made world eaters sing since the new book came out. But before we um, before we get into that, um, I wanted to sort of offer condolences because obviously the news broke on April first that your longtime collaborator and, and friend of mine, Jake Harding, was leaving to found Team Handsome, and obviously I know that you must still be in a sort of grieving process with that. And I wondered how you've been getting on. Sorry. Who are you talking about? He's dead to me. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw you'd erased him from all of the photos. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, oh, I shouldn't. I shouldn't have gone there. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't realize it was all so fresh. Um, <laughs> Do you know what? I had so many. We actually had people believe that Jake would oh, leave. I know. I bet you did. <laughs> we also we had people ask Jake to join their team. You're like. Honestly. Oh no! Oh good. Jake unfortunately is glued to me. Yeah, um, yeah he's here saying. right now. Um, he's here. <laughs> uh, Jake, shut up! I've told you more than once. This is you. You've you've done your interview. This is mine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> oh man no it was great. It was um it was it was a very a very good joke, and also, I I love the sort of the well, handsomest man in 40k running commentary that we have for jake out there in the world it's great he's, he's a good guy um wonderful okay well i i would say you're one of those guests that doesn't really need introduction but i think it's still important to do it anyway so do you want to tell people a little bit about who you are um and what your background in 40k is Stephen? <laughs> yeah i'd love to so um yeah my name's Stephen box and i run a youtube channel called vanguard tactics and we really specialize in promoting fair play and sportsmanship within the realm of competitive 40k and what we really try to do is nurture a lifelong participation of the hobby so we don't really care what kind of game system you play if you're playing board games and you're playing strategy tabletop games that's awesome just keep doing it it's fantastic for your mental health and that's essentially what we try to promote is using this vehicle and tool of warhammer to really help us all with our kind of uh, ever-growing uh, stressful jobs in day-to-day lives um, <laughs> yeah. but most importantly when we play to play that with dignity um, to do the right thing my background before this was um, I suppose I was an athlete of sorts I was okay I was all right at doing and being an athlete yeah. um, I've got a few accolades I've got a few trophies yeah, yeah. a few international caps and when I came into um, Warhammer it was you know I, I was like, yeah, I want to play a tournament. People were like spitting on me. Like, you are disgusting. <laughs> you are cheesy. You want to go to a tournament. Oh, it's full of neck beards. Um, <laughs> win at all costs. Triads, you name it. Like, ugh, gross. 
So um, I was like, hang on a minute, what, what's going on? Went to tournaments and I was like, ah, yeah, I see what these people mean. Yeah, there's something going on here. Yeah, this is this is not cool. Um, whereas I was used to getting knocked over, um, you know, on the on the hockey pitch or whatever, mm-hmm. and then getting picked up by, by the person that, you know, took me down, shaking their hand at the end of the game. You know, they got a yeah. yellow card, whatever. It was dealt with. You, you, you crack on. Um, and it was all about, you know, you you learning to lose with dignity yeah um and also win with grace and that's yeah. really really important but it was something in which when i first came into the industry was i'm not going to lie a little bit lackluster um <laughs> and it, it's, it's tried to be something that i've heavily tried to challenge i've been quite outspoken yeah. on a few different topics mm. um not everyone likes it I suppose some people really agree with me and some people certainly don't. I've, yeah. I have just as much hate as I do uh, positivity, <laughs> for, I suppose, on some certain things, but you can't do much about it. Yeah. No, You've got absolutely. To keep, I suppose you're, being you're true those, to yourself. You're one of those people that, yeah, exactly. You are true to yourself and you're, you're never afraid to say what you think and you're never afraid to take a stand on things. And I think Vanguard really reflects that too, because you've, as you say, it's, it's 40K is sort of on its way to having something of a sporting dimension and culture right i guess that's what the event scene the competitive scene is is heading towards but as you say with that sportsmanship needs to needs to come with it or it's or it's not going to be a pleasant experience and i think vanguard are probably one of the most significant things to have happened to the game in terms of pushing that direction and trying to lead the way on that and but also about nurturing players but also playing to the very best of your ability and i I think you guys do that super well and as you say if you have an opinion in this world then some people are going to disagree with you. That's that's sort of the line of fire you have to get into with this stuff. But I think I think you and you and the guys do a great job. So you should be very proud of your achievements. No, oh, thank you very much, mate. Yeah, it means a lot. Yeah, no, it's my thank pleasure. Um, wonderful. Okay, well, we'll talk a little bit more about Vanguard and all, all the things that sort of you've got in the pipeline for tenth. Obviously, a very exciting time, but we'll do that at the end of the show. So, without um, further ado, we're going to get into sort of some of the uh the the violent angry uh figures of 40k the the world eaters right the legion of angron the the sort of most sort of aggressive and combat legion in the game and obviously these guys have got a new book which is going to sort of see them through to the end of ninth edition um very snappy exciting little book um and today we're going to think about sort of your own sort of history and relationship to the army and then think a little bit about where they sit in the meta and what players, world eaters players, and there are many, um, can do with this book to sort of make the absolute, absolute most of that out of it before um, before ninth comes to an end. But let's let's start with you, Steve. What What's the appeal of world eaters to you? What does that army mean to you? Well, I love blood angels. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I love blood angels. So... Um... <laughs> When we were looking at the channel armies and I was like, I probably should play a chaos faction. Well, <laughs> I'll play blood angels with a corn logo yeah. and a corn symbol. It's so on your do. street, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there is no, a, a bit more of a backstory to it. Than yeah. This. Um, yeah, yeah. I was very fortunate one day, uh, some time ago to get to, I uh, so see the first, the miniatures mm-hmm. when they were first, you know done whatever oh wow and i looked at them and i was like wow these are amazing mm. and uh yeah it was just something in which i was just like blown away by the kind of sculpts of the models yeah. the corn berserkers are incredible you know my background was bodybuilding so when i look at these guys of absolute <laughs> jacked arms yeah. and then i see eight bound with even like you know real 3d delts you know proper striations <laughs> on their quads i'm like yeah the 
these guys see squat. You know, these guys don't skip leg day. Uh, it's great. So um, yeah. when I first saw them, I, I just had to like wait for a very long time before they were obviously uh, released. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't wait. So um, no yeah, matter yeah. what was going to happen, um, regardless of how good they are in the meta, yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. actually I probably would have been put off them if they were too good because I hate yeah, you know, yeah. playing... I hate playing a, a meta army. I like to be yeah, a yeah. snowflake. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think they came out and everybody said they were a bit boring and a bit rubbish. In, but actually, no, I think they're all right. And I think they're in a nice little spot at the moment. So yeah, for me, it's essentially the Chaos version of Blood Angels. Uh, they're also yeah. red. That makes my painting because I only own three paints. <laughs> you know, it's uh, Corn Red, Mephiston Red and Wild Rider Red. So why I didn't need to buy any more. That was already done. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much, uh, my, my, my first direction into world eaters. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. No, that's great. And as you say, you'd, um, you grabbed a couple of, of nice placings and results with them straight out the gate. So I remember, I can't remember where it was, it was an RTT you went up to and, and took down with them pretty, pretty yeah. early doors. Right. So you, I think you, you, they're an army that clearly connected with you. And as you say, the parallels to blood angels aren't lost in me. Yeah. There's, you know, there's, there's pregame move combat stuff. There's a lot of sort of movement and intervening shenanigans. I can see how it's a book that, that for a player mm. with your skill set would really, really appeal. Cause it, you really, you have to squeeze absolutely every inch of value out of movement and combat and trapping and all those sorts of things. Um, which uh, is is something you're obviously very famous for by this stage. So yeah, no, it makes makes complete sense to me, man. And as you say, if you if you have to pick a chaos army, you might as well pick one that behaves a bit like one of your your favourite Imperium armies, right? <laughs> yeah. Great. Exactly okay. It, yeah. Well, let's talk about um, sort of where World Eaters sit, I guess. Then in 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 the in the sort of current game and current current meta, what what do you think their sort of role is? What do you think? the sort of positives and the strengths for them are and what are the potential challenges? So I suppose straight off the bat, um, one of their strengths is that they get a high volume of attacks. Um, high yes. volume of attacks is always great in 40k. Mm. Um, you know, just forcing your opponent to make saves is, is brilliant. So yeah. when you've got, you know, a single model chucking out five attacks, you know, somebody will fail some saves. A lot of their strength values start to pip at a certain place where you wound most things on threes which mm. is really great uh whether it's vehicles infantry light vehicles you can you've typically got a unit that can wound the target unit that they're best at so go and wound on threes so and there's some really great ways to obviously buff the army up considerably to really maximize that efficiency so if you're able to pinpoint this unit's gonna be really efficient into that unit and you're able to get it there then you're going to do the thing you want to do. If you don't do that, you're absolutely going to bounce. You're going to hit it so hard and it's not going to do anything and you're going to fall back over. So I think from that perspective, um, that's always great that you really need to tee up these charges, make mm. them work. So when they connect, they're absolutely fantastic. They've got some yeah. incredible stratagems. Um, and I think we look at the book, you've got two ways to play the army. Um, and I think there's an argument to play either. Um, yeah. I've certainly mainly used one way but i've certainly tried out the other as well mm -hmm. um and i think both could be competitive in the right hands so if we look at the the most logical way to play the armies where you get the option of corn berserkers mm. um so the kind of non-pure demon or yeah demonic way i don't know whatever you want to call it the red <laughs> angel so not the red angels way yeah um and you know you get a few different cool stratagems there you get the heroic intervention of six inches you get the fight on death um, and they're obviously key things that a, a combat army really needs you get the plus one damage 
stratagem you get yeah. to do mortal wounds in addition so those four stratagems alone are absolutely brilliant yeah, they really really are so. fun yeah they're fundamental to a great chaos uh, to a great combat army sorry mm. and i would go go as far to say with those four stratagems a fart and death a heroic intervention a um, obviously you can interrupt anyway um and with the additional plus one damage and things they're arguably the best combat army in the game there's not many armies that can go toe-to-toe with them in combat uh they either don't trade as efficiently um what you know they just don't have the staying power to they'll only ever be able to make one charge into a world eater army yeah. otherwise and even then they'll probably fart on death and kill you back so <laughs> yeah. it's a really nice um you know sort of dynamic they have yeah the only other army that might be able to go toe-to-toe with them is creations of bile because obviously they fart yeah. on death on a four up so it depends on how hot their rolls are um yeah. but that being said most other combat armies are probably gonna struggle okay yeah um in in that kind of combat phase with them as the rightly they should because yeah. this is this is this one army's thing so if there's a, a you know an army pure combat this is the one yeah so for me that's their strengths their weaknesses obviously is failing charges that's a bit of a problem <laughs> yeah. um getting shot that's another one um however their one of their real strengths in their book is actually their, or not in their book, but in their play style, is their secondary play. They've got three, yeah. well, I'd say two great secondaries, one confusing secondary. Um, I don't know if you, if, I think we're on the same page or not with the, yeah. with the third one that. <laughs> yeah. It's, you need to, anyway, so we'll go into those shortly, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, come, we'll come back to it, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> their ability to score is great. The fact yeah. that you can take a lot of objective secured models, which is kind of what you want. I, th- I always think when there's an army, when they've got good, uh, when their troop units are some of their best units, you know you've got a good book. Absolutely right, yeah. You know, because yeah, you're not no, I, wasting, I, you're not wasting points. No, exactly, and I think that's a really a real strength. And I think the secondaries are, as I say, we'll come, we'll come back to it. But it, they're they're fun and they're thematic, and and it from the games I've witnessed with World Eaters so far, play, both players enjoy them, right? You know, yeah, they've got a good secondary game, they score well, but they're one of those armies that does exactly what you'd want it to do, and and yeah. both players seem to have a great time whilst it's happening. Um, and that and that that's that's I think a really nice spot for a book to have landed. Um, and that yeah. that stratagem suite, as you say, it's, it's it bodes really well for tenth, right? It's it's something to be really optimistic about that you can have like quite a small bounded set of stratagems, but actually you just got you just got all the good stuff, right? You got a lovely set yeah. of really useful, lean focused stratagems that give you all of that fight phase control. I also I quite like that they've 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 got that remarkable sort of fight phase dominance, but they don't really need like fight last to do it because it's, it's that doesn't feel very world eaters to me, right? It's much more sort no. of we're just we're just going to take you with us, man. We don't care, like we're not going to sneak around or trick you or anything we're just going to absolutely yeah. bat you if you come this in was, <laughs> this is something in which obviously when when we're um well when i'm looking at a book or something i'm really trying to make sure that the book plays in a way that um you know is thematic to the yeah. that army um and again that's some of the feedback that i'll obviously give to games workshop is making sure mm. that you know hey does this kind of stratagem fit for that army does it play yeah. in the way that you would want it to and really the competitive way to play the army should also be the thematic way there shouldn't be this difference between the two as well so and i think that you know when that book's it, it come out and it's brilliant you know uh, the fact that it didn't even you know for example really need an faq or whatever was a it's a tight book um and and actually it's a great way to go hey 
here's a, a condensed set of rules, but brilliant, really yeah. like eloquently done. And I think it's uh, yeah. by the sounds of what they've said for 10th edition um, so far, if that's going to what they're going to be doing more of, then great. So yeah, um, they keep would. talking about like a simplified, but yet simple. And I would say the World Eaters Codex is simplified, but it's not simple. Completely. And I think that's a really nice, um, yeah, kind of, you know, touch if they continue to do that as they move into 10th edition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and you'd hope that I think that you know, the, the bare bones and core of that will, will carry over as well. It doesn't feel like one that would need massive adjustment to fit the new set sort of design philosophy they've got. But I guess I, that's that's all for the future. So we'll see. But as I say, it's, it's, it reminds me to when, when the Gene C. LeCoultz book came out, it was a similar thing. Where, although they're very different armies, it was it was a book that just sort of slid in in the end under the radar. Right. No, it didn't really make a massive noise at the time because it was a well-balanced book meant in the competitive sense when it came out it was just getting flattened by things but it but it also meant it was one that you could really have fun with you could get all sorts of stuff out of it it had wonderful writing that felt very thematic um, and we had mm-hmm. this slightly strange contradiction don't we in the competitive community sometimes where i think players like to say they care about balance but then they also don't ever seem to want to play pick up or do anything with anything vaguely balanced a lot of the time either which is always a slightly strange uh, conundrum players put themselves in i think they don't <laughs> They don't care about balance. No, I know. <laughs> they they care about balance in the respect in the respect that it's not. And what yeah, they'll, yeah, what they'll sure. do is go, oh, I'll take the thing that's not balanced. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, a bit of it's irony. Weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite funny you've said that actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I, I notice it all the time because it's like it's so loud in the conversation, but it, and it, but it also it does it means that sometimes when a book like this comes out, that is yeah, as you say, it's you know, it's not busted, it's not crazy, it's it's good and it's got some really good things to it, but it's not going to just run every army in the game over on its way to a sort of an easy podium, right? So, but that means it doesn't make a splash in the same way with some people, and I think I think that's a shame because I think you know we should celebrate a book like this that's interesting and and has a lot going for it, and as you say, is is a triumph of rules writing because they've managed to make it interesting but focused and also not have it wildly out of control at release that's a really nice position to be in the the other thing with this book as well is i think why maybe not everybody is jumping on it as a bandwagon Mm. is because it takes a fair bit of finesse to actually run it (laughs) yes yes well this is why you're like (laughs) i'm not taking two towel bombers flying over your head and just dropping more (laughs) wounds and then flying off the table um and then standing back you know, 36 inches away and shooting you off so you can't really do anything. Mm. Um, It's not an army that just stands there and just goes, oh, can you roll some four ups? No, cool. Well, that's unlucky because I can. So, (laughs) right, well, that's a a good game then, isn't it? Um, Oh, I'll tell you what, I'll just shoot with all this volume of attacks. Oh, I've just scored 15 15 secondary points in a turn because I killed seven units. Cool, that was good. (laughs) So there there is an element of, oh, you know, I've got to use terrain. I've got to stand on cover. I've got to, you know, use jackals to screen out terrain features because it's got windows in it and i can't let anyway we'll get into that but i think there is an element there of you know after five games of a tournament using this army you know you've got a bit a little bit of mental fatigues building up because you need to wrap and trap you need to pile in the right way you need to be super hot on you know which unit you're fighting first with um in terms of the order of selection where Mm. you're charging where you're consolidating into uh, what units you want to tag which ones you don't Mm. um and this actually is a we'll talk about this later but i know there's a big debate right in the world eaters book 
Oh yes, there is. Well, yeah, we'll we'll head there. We'll head there in just a second. But as you say, there's there's something of a, a schism, a divide within the Legion mm. uh, that we'll that we'll address. But as you say, I think that's the thing with an army with an army that is reliant on a couple of phases like that, and not as you say the let's let's face it, the overtly powerful phase that is range shooting because that's always a strong phase in 40k and armies that can rely very heavily on it sometimes can just blow their way through things without any issue, right? When you don't have guns, you are very much um, on, on a well-balanced terrain situation. You, are, you have to squeeze the, every drop out of your movement, out of combat because good 40k boards don't give you the means to just creep up on someone and jump them with a whole army these days. That's not really how terrain sets work. So you have to be very very careful um and so yeah i think for people who want to master movement and combat um this is a really fun place to be doing that at the moment so let's let's yeah. let's move towards that then let's start thinking about key builds and some of the sort of major ways of playing world eaters that have emerged since the book came out because that i think can get us towards some of these sort of um options or directions if you like that players can head in what do you see the sort of main builds or options as being um, so I've taken two variations of lists and you, you have to forgive me. I haven't for the last kind of couple of, I suppose, months, my eye has been somewhere else rather than on, um, I'll bet it has, <laughs> I've, I've been looking so, yeah. maybe somewhere else than I have been, yeah. uh, been checking out people's, yeah, people's <laughs> lists or whatever in, in no, really knowing what they're taking for world eaters. So I can only to really mm. talk from my experience. So mm. I think a common list build typically rolls around uh, the Lord Invocatus as your Warlord. Yep. Um, maybe four units of Corn Berserkers of five, maybe a Rhino, maybe two. Um, then as many eight bounders you can cram in. So maybe, you know, three units of four, something like that. Um, three spawn, obviously. You know, you wouldn't go yep. anywhere without three spawn, apparently. Um, <laughs> and then it's just an extra bit of whatever you've got left points wise. Maybe it's some exalted eight bound, potentially a Demon Prince. Uh, but I would say that first kind of stuff I've said there is, I would say like 80% of a competitive build. Uh, yeah. And then you could throw in a couple of Armager, Helverin, Wardog things from yes. the Chaos Knights. Yeah. You could chuck in, like I said, you could chuck in a Demon Prince. You could chuck in some Exalted 8-Bound. Whatever you fit is your flavor um, mm-hmm. in you know, your play style. I, but really, if you're taking that kind of build in a certain skill level hands, whatever that player took, I think it's irrelevant. I think the list is going to do what it's done based on that first 80%. If you yeah. were going to go four in one, you're going to go four in one with it, regardless whether you took a Demon Prince, Exalted Eight Bound, or, you know, I think those arguments become a little bit, um, you know, of a null point because I think the army would have won or not anyway. Yeah. The first 80% of that kind of list. So that's certainly, I would say, the most common um, yeah. build that I certainly saw in the early mm-hmm. days of running that book. Um. Yeah, I don't, would you agree with me on that? Or have you yeah, seen no, no, I'd, no, I'd, I'd, no, I'd completely agree. I think, I think that's that's been that was identified early doors as sort of the most lean build to go. And obviously, with the Lord Invocatus with the pre-game move, I think that just opens up a lot of possibilities um, for for early aggression and and for getting stuck in. That I think I think players felt was simply too good to pass up, right? And so I think I think that's where you know, the pregame move and being able to shove eight bound a long way up the board and, and start start things off nice and early uh, is, is going to end games into the un, the unwary and the unpracticed into it, right? I think it's, you know, people are just going to end up with with too much in their face too early. Um, but also, I guess, gives you movement potential and, and redeploying potential and all sorts of flexibilities that I think it's, it's nice for the army to have. So yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. It's got that little flex core, but then actually 
the nature of the book at the moment is that you know we've only got a few units to work with so berserkers eight bound uh chaos spawn obviously to go and i don't know if chaos spawn Die. even bleed so i don't know if they don't know who's caught if they even bleed do they but the corn 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 will take it anyways right okay chaos spawn's dead that's that's all right for me we'll, 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 we'll get rid of that um and they just help to to rack up the blood tithe points but yeah that that certainly seems to be the sort of central competitive build but what i have seen certainly from observation is that um world eaters players themselves are a very passionate and creative bunch you know there's a, there's a lot of very long-term fans of the legion they're one of those ones that get people very excited and actually even on the competitive circuit there's been a lot of mucking about with with other stuff and in particular there has been one very large angry dude who has who has been too too cool to leave at home for for a lot of players and that of course that of course is if you build around angron um so what yeah. from your experience do you do you make of that and how do you think you can get the most out of a sort of angron centric build yeah, so when I when I first moved into or when we first moved into this um kind of Arcs of Omen uh book, I just finished playing Eldar at LVO um and had a really good success with uh Eldar, LVO, and then I did yes. the same at Beachhead. Yes, you did. Uh, and I had yeah. a very very combat heavy build. Um it was as you know, I think like twenty striking scorpions, as much as I possibly could field of these crazy green little um scorpions. <laughs> Yeah. However, we had a team event coming up, and on my team, I've got, I've got um, Jack Downing, an amazing Dark Angel player, and he loves his Raven Wing, so I was never going to take him off that to play Blood Angels. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we had a Ben Jones, and I've, I can't take a Ben Jones off an Eldar faction, so <laughs> unfortunately, <can't>, no. <laughs> I have, exactly. So I had to give up the Eldar, and I was looking at yeah. all the other book options. World Eaters were new, and I thought, cool, I'll take World Eaters. I think if mm. there's anybody that in my team that could play World Eaters quickly, um, it's probably me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I've got an experience of Blood Angels. They're pretty much the same. So um, I felt like, okay, out of me and all of the players on my team, Michael was playing Guard. Uh, we had James Ramsey playing Custode. So I, oh, fe- yes, I yes. fell on World Eaters. And uh, I was probably the weak link in the chain because we don't know what the army does. And... <laughs> I, so I therefore I took it to an RTT uh, and I literally was painting the night before because um, obviously the models were only literally released the week before. So mm. um, fortunately, I had already was I was already given a, an Angron from GW. So thank you to them for sending me a preview version of the Angron. Oh, I had him painted for a battle report. I had some corn berserkers done already, so I was a little bit um, ahead of the game in regards to just having stuff painted. I didn't have to yeah, put brilliant. a full shift in. I could only do eat. I didn't have to like take the week off work to get the army done just a few evenings. So um, anyway, the first RTT I went to, I was scrapping for points, right? I was, I had an Angron. I was like, he has to go in because I just need to fill these points up. Um, I put some war dogs in uh, and obviously filled out the rest with eight bound and everything else that I possibly could. And I played that tournament. I think I went, I, I won the uh, the event and that was at the outpost. That was an awesome little RTT that they ran. Um, hmm. And I think I scored something like, 298 points or something over the three games oh damn it was it was quite big yeah (laughs) Yeah. um and i remember having a long conversation with ramsey i was like ramsey you know he was like you know lord invocatus is great and i was like yeah but you don't know what i know about angron now and (laughs) i basically i actually convinced him and ramsey's knowledge of um the game is incredible i've never yes. really known anybody to quite have quite that same level of knowledge base um mm. around the game in lists so we're having a good conversation about it 
And after explaining what I feel like the benefits of Angron are versus the Invocatus, we were going to take him. We were going to take Angron to the team event. Amazing. However, we are playing on the UKTC terrain. Yeah. And on two of the maps, there is a zone where Angron will not be able to drop his model because his base is too big. And that's in the middle. Ah, uh, no. Because of those little kind of... Oh, because of the little... little... The little dents yeah. thing. Oh, no, that's yeah. rubbish. So that was why I didn't take him. Um, <sighs> and yeah, I think I could... It depends, right? Because on those missions, you think, well, if you need to go in the middle of the table and you can't, it's a bit of a... It's pretty bad, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. It's yeah. a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah. So, and then, you know, we are starting to look at, um, you know, some of the top factions at the time, Guard, Dark Angels. There's a few, you know, Admech lists knocking about, Tau, obviously. Um, and I was thinking, I can't put myself in a team list and be a wink link because mm. what will happen is um, if we if we go up against three gunline armies in the team matrix, I'm going to have literally three bad games. Yeah, And I'm not going to be able to unpair myself out of three bad games. I might be able to not pair myself into two or I have to throw myself under the bus. Which, you know, I often had to do um, being a captain, but um, you don't want to be a weak link. So we decided because of the terrain, um, I wasn't going to take him. And I really regret that decision. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think Angron, in my eyes, um, is certainly... um, He really allows a skillful player with combat to really explore what their army can do. Yeah. And I feel like anybody could run some eight bound with Invocatus. They pregame move them. And do you know what? A good player just steps back a little bit. That's it. Cool. That's it. I was going to say, it's going to work sometimes. And then in the games, it really matters. It's just, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> well, for a start, it's only going to work 50% of the time. Yeah. And if you roll anything like me, you typically roll low. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll probably go first 33% of the time so actually my pre-game moves only really relative or significant 33% of the time <laughs> um, and then obviously a good player steps back and actually it's relevant 0% of the time yeah. so however when you look at Angron so Angron was fantastic going second like unbelievably strong going second mm-hmm. providing that you're not into like you know horrendous if they had like triple hammerhead and long strike, you think, okay, actually, yeah, this is, he's, he's gone. But <laughs> if they've got a moderate amount of shooting um, or you've got some big old blocking terrain, like mm. proper line of sight terrain, go in second super strong because what this, you know, fine gentleman can do from this fine establishment, um, <laughs> if you go second and you bring him back in the last turn of the game, he can drop on an objective, he can take a banner down, he can get you behind enemy lines, he could make a charge like... Oh, you've sticky that objective. Well, Angron's just going to jump on it now. End game. Yeah. And there's not really a whole you know host you can do about it. So yeah. he's you know takes away objective secured as well within six inches of him. He's very strong. So I yeah. really felt like what he also does means that because of his movement is so big, if you go first against World Eaters, you cannot put anything in the midfield because he will charge it. Yeah. Um, and he that then starts to not only start the trading game favorably in the World Eaters player, uh, player's turn, but also what that does, 
depending on where you've positioned the rest of your models. But he consolidates, he stops you from falling back. Now you've got a very large problem straight yeah. in your lines. Um, and this is where I felt like world, the world eaters truly excel in the hands of a player that understands the combat phase. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at your pylons, your consolidations, what models you can get in range of, setting all these things up. Um, I remember one game I played against uh, a Necrons player and he, he looked at me and he said, I can't shoot anything, can I? And I was like, no, everything's in combat. And <laughs> in the stuff that's not in combat is within six inches of um, Angron's base. And I set it up. It's one combat phase. It was like one of the times I look back at, you know, all the games of 40K I've played and I think that was a bloody masterstroke what I did in that yeah, turn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I just set it up so well and I was just like, yeah. it was like all my ducks were in a row and I was like, this has gone so well. And yeah, I just said, yeah, unfortunately you can't fall back with about <laughs> eight different units and they all unfortunately are in combat with one of mine and they're not going to have a good day in a moment when we get to your so fight phase. Yeah. And he just looked, he looked at me like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> I was like, yeah. So, um, it's so anyway. Good. Yeah, so I think... Angron is fantastic. Um, and going forward, going forward, I would not leave him at home. Yeah. Yeah. No, really I, I think, that, I think that's awesome. And I, and I think, I think there's a whole bunch of things that you highlight there that I think make him really worth looking at. The, the speed is remarkable. Like he is, rem- there's nothing, nothing as big and as killy as him that moves as quickly as that and can, can fly. You know, it, it's a remarkable um, reach that he's got, that, as you yeah. say, in terms of, in terms of board control, that's a phenomenal tool to have. And as you say, as long as you can tuck him somewhere or there's not so many guns that he's just going to die instantly, um, then then that's remarkable. The trapping aura, again, used well. And you do. I think it's the same with Scarbrand, right, where a lot of people bring Scarbrand, but only the very best really make him sing. But if you can yeah. get him in the wrong places, it's game-ending. It's just game-ending. There's no there's no way around it. Like You get those trapping auras into the wrong places, and like your poor Necron friend, it's just it's just game over. But it, it does require some some finesse to use and i think to have an asset of that size and and that poses that much danger that just keeps coming back or can come back and he can redeploy he can get him where he needs to be if one flank's caving he can go shore that up as you say end game shenanigans it's remarkable yeah it's one of those things that um with him i think when i used him i don't really i don't even know if i even brought him back that often it just was a case of (laughs) I think that's a like a gimmick or a nice to have, yeah. but it's not like yeah, the essential yeah. part of it. Mm. Um, I mean, we did a stream game once and we were just like, right, how many times can we bring him back just for a joke? But <laughs> I don't think me or Michael would have played that way if we weren't just trying to bring him back as many times no, as we could. But, you know, if you pull off those moves with an army like that, your opponent looks at you and they go, I can't do anything, but fair play. You played that in like, yeah. you just played a play. Like that was a big brain yeah. play. And I'm, it's not like, oh, you've dropped a Kasakin bomb in. Oh, oh, and you rolled loads of fives. Oh, okay, so you did, you've done 18 mortal wounds to my army. Right. Where was the skill in that? Oh, no, yeah. there wasn't any. You know, um, it would be like a little bit like, you know, entering a painting competition and, you know, you just put this paint in the airbrush and your model, your model just came out done. You know, it'd be like, yeah. you know, you want to see the blends, you want to see the edge highlights and you want to see the time staking amount of hours that were, you know, to put into these incredible miniatures. And I think it's like in any form of competition, 
you don't like you know when i used to compete in bodybuilding mm. if you just managed to get your spray tan done so well that they you know for example put all the lines in that you were meant to have and stepped on stage you're like well well no i want to see the hard work and dedication that's gone into yeah. that and actually if i get beaten by you know somebody that's in better condition got more muscle posed better you shake the hand you go fair play you absolutely smashed it i deserve to come where i mm. did because you've brought something really quite unique and special and this is what i love about the game so much is when we have these armies that have this option to go if i do a b c followed by d e f g and then i get a bit of a sprinkle of that in and then also if this happens and i manage to get this done we're in a strong position your opponent goes fair play that was a great move i love it yeah yeah. i didn't see that one coming not just Mm. oh you rolled really well and i'm dead cool that was fun next game then you know should we get a drink so very different kind of um i suppose interaction at the table completely yeah Yeah, absolutely and i think i think it's i suppose there's a slight irony in it because it is angron but i like that it sounds like he sort of rewards patience and finesse neither of which he's a massive fan of but it sounds like that's very much the way to actually squeeze the most out of him so um no that's that's really exciting and i think i say i I played against angron when the book first came out a a local friend of ours not not a particularly competitive player but i was i was definitely struck by the potential there once you've seen him move once you've seen how far he can go a couple of times you're like okay yeah i get it Mm. There's, there's, there's something very scary here as far, as far as the current crop of units goes what other kind of favorites do you have and, and and how do you kind of squeeze the most out of them what are the other sort of supporting characters in this book as you see it so i, th- I definitely think the lord invocator still goes in the list i think the fact yeah. that he can fly um, yeah, just stops and getting moved yeah, yeah the, the movement the fly the fact that he can turn off invuns he's quite good you know for his points um maybe a little bit expensive without getting the benefits of that warlord trait but Mm. on the whole a decent well-rounded unit um i think you know you could tool up a a a demon prince okay the master execution is a nice little trading piece for you Mm. know whatever his points is quite pretty cheap and cheerful yeah yeah he's great um but i know that not a huge a lot or not many people like the exalted eight bound Mm. Mm. and uh I said I was running three units of three in mm. all of those in all of those tournaments I ran, and what I found them to be so good at is they're slightly more durable. Yeah, but they typically are one or two of these guys left are still a big problem for your opponent. Mm. They could easily run into an armager, take it down. They can blow up a rhino, and what I found them doing was just edging their way over the you know across the table. Um, and obviously, because they don't have the core keyword, they don't get the benefits of the plus two move. You mm. can't use some of the stratagems on them. So they're a little bit, you know, redundant. You can't fight them on death and things. But I did find them to be quite a good little unit. Um, and I still would take some, I think, you know, whether it's two units or three or something. I just found there's a, like, on the on our Vanguard Tactics Academy, we, we talk a lot about in the, in the in the classes that we teach at, you know, the LBO, LGT and such mm. like we we talk about this objective that we have is our non-negotiable the objective that you never give up mm. and i'd happily put a very cheap i don't i don't know what their points are off the top of my head um but they're very they're fairly inexpensive and i feel like mm. if three of these they'll hunker in objective down pretty well you can't charge it position properly uh with most units anyway that you know want to come in from deep strike and harass an objective they don't have the option they won't they won't be shot indirectly off it um 
so actually they're quite a good little sort of non-negotiable objective holder um mm. and then we talk about like a fortify objective again they're fantastic in that role because they don't need to move too far they need to move on to it um yeah. and again they, they just need to basically bully anything that comes close to it really so mm. again your eight bound are moving forward your exalted eight bound can be in this kind of more defensive role um yeah. as a sort of counter punch um and I, I really find them effective where especially if i've got like five corn berserkers in front of them so if you do charge me i fart on death uh, and these guys are just tucked behind to then counter punch anything that also came close as well so for mm. me the exalted eight bound were a really nice touch point um yeah. they don't need any and because you can leave them uh, on their own you don't they don't need any support they yeah. hit slightly more efficiently um they don't need the support of re-rolls and things anyway they're essentially um you know better than custody kind of models so in combat um yeah so they don't need the support which is good they're good in these little on you know objectives that might be on the corners on the edges or, or the flanks of the of the table they're brilliant you know in that role and i think they're an underutilized asset yeah yeah absolutely and i say i think it's it's a dream for a player having those sort of plug-in units that are just yeah, they'll just manage things. If you can get them in the right places, they don't need investment. They don't need heavy synergy or stratagem support, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As long as, as, long as you use them in the right sheet. places. Yeah, exactly that. And I think it, see, it does feel like for World Eaters, you want to sort of lock down the board and, and boss the primary and having some sort of, as you say, supporting units to, to sort of continue that good work as other stuff pushes forward is, is really, really useful. So that's a really interesting use to hear of them. Um, I guess I was curious in terms of the um one of the other trends I've seen people is is with the plugging in of the, the I guess the chaos knights right it seems like it's shooty armages is something people enjoy running with them and I guess I was curious what you think the sort of what what it is people are, are looking to do there what what you're hoping to gain um and whether whether you think it sort of helps to helps the army to function or whether it's it's sort of just a fad that people will sort of move on from <laughs> um so they do a couple of things um they're able to make a kill in a um turn that isn't obviously the combat phase yeah which does mean um providing your killing stuff you're going to get blood tithe points right yes of course yeah 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 so they can con so you know let's say they pop a rhino cool that's a couple of blood tithe points for you great so they can con they can contribute to blood tithe points in another phase of the game it mm. stops your opponent from having free reign of just you know like if you were to put a model nine inches away from the corner of a tabletop to screen out um, like a deep strike or something or a uh, strategic reserve it stops your opponent from just like basically conga lying around the table because you've got this massive threat and if they put five infiltrators out in the middle of nowhere then these guys will pick them up so yeah, it does stop a little yeah. bit you know it, it does stop a bit of board control from your opponent allowing mm -hmm. you to deep strike strap reserve or do whatever else you kind of want to so, um, you know, th there's those aspects to it. Also, it does help you pop transports. You know, you don't want to necessarily put a unit of eight bound to kill a rhino. Then the stuff that gets out of the rhino kills you. That's not fun. So they do, they, you know, it can pop a unit of, I don't know, let's say there was, I can't even think of a unit that would go in a rhino, like, I don't know, sacrosants <laughs> or something, right? Yeah, yeah, something or, um, yeah. yeah, something along those lines. So um, can help, you know, you know, manage those sort of units. Um Maybe there's a screening unit of 10 guardsmen. It picks them up so then the people can charge through it and hit the tank. So mm. is it a fad? Not necessarily. I think it does have some utility. I think yeah. it does. Um, like I said, I, I certainly use two 
in that in mm. that first tournament. They're great at just sitting on your backfield objective. Cool. So they sit there. They can contribute to the game. Yeah. Um, and I believe their objective secured, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah, which obviously great to have. Obsec counters five. Like that's just tasty. That's just useful. Yeah. Again, it's adding more obsec into an already um, heavy obsec army. So great. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. No. Yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And as I say, I think I think um, it keeps opponents honest. It gives you means to sort of build up those blood tithe points if if the opponent's not being obliging and coming to play in the middle. Um, so yeah, that makes lots of sense. I can definitely see why people why people have headed in that direction. I guess a sensible place to end, Steve, is probably in thinking about that exact system, the blood tithe system. Because obviously you've been able to play some games with it, and I guess I'm curious of of the various different sort of buy in. This is one of the, I thought this was a really exciting bit of rules writing, by the way. It was like a simple, simple, but again quite dynamic system. Lots of different, you know, buying in with an extra resource, but and and buying some really powerful tools for the army. Um, what what do you think that some of the sort of key blood tithe um, options have, have ended up being? What do you, what what is it that world Eaters players do you think can use from that list to get the most out of the army? So this will depend on um, whether you've taken Angron or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, and it also depends if you're going first or second. Mm. So, you know, six plus feel no pain is great. It's fantastic if you're going second as well. As soon as you can get that in, brilliant. Um, it will then. So that typically is one I normally start with, depending, especially if they've got a lot of ranged fire. Yeah, six plus feel no pain mm-hmm. is typically what I want. Um, now, failing that, uh, the next one after that would be plus one to charge. Yeah. So if I feel like my opponents maybe stretch themselves a little bit too far, turn one. And I'm going second. Cool. I'm going to try and get plus one to charge on because then I can start guaranteeing these charges. Mm-hmm. H- having extra charge basically gives me, you know, essentially more piling, gets me in range mm-hmm. of Angron. Um, also, taking Angron means I can have full chapter master rerolls. That's great. Ooh, I've also got reroll yeah. ones as an option. Yeah. So, therefore, I don't need plus one to hit so much. Whereas with Lord Invocatus, you need plus one to hit to actually make those corn berserkers do anything decent. So, uh, yeah, I would say if you haven't gone Angron, you're probably looking for the. Um, you should have the speed because you've got the pregame move, even if it's like sticking forward in a bit of terrain or something. So, maybe you don't need a plus one charge. You certainly don't need plus one charge because you won't have so much in deep strike because obviously Angron won't be coming back to life. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I think for me, um, if, if you've got Angron on the table, six plus fill no pain, plus one to charge is where you want to start with. Um, and then, you know, pick your poison, whether it's the equivalent of, you know, hitting on a six auto wounds, if it's the, um, you know, plus one to hit or whatever kind of flavor, exploding sixes. Cool. Mm. Any of those are great, really. But you don't need any of those. The army's killy enough without them. Um, yeah. Exactly. But then if you've got Lord Invocatus, then yeah, get that plus one to hit. That's the first one you really want. And then again, mm. after that, maybe uh, some defense or, you know, because you, like what like we teach on the academy, we we, we talk about um, really going into depth into like looking at your army list and writing out like a SWOT analysis in a big weakness of the army is um, failing charges. Fail a charge, you're out in the open, you're going to die. One opportunity there is to, use that blood tithe point to make those charges a little bit more successful. So, um, yeah, I think that's certainly a nice little way to go. 
Also, it depends whether you've taken like a master executioner with the um, ability to give you. So every six to hit auto wounds, that's a command ability you could put on a unit. So if you've taken that relic, um, then you won't need necessarily that blood tithe. So again, you can spend a CP instead and use those resources. So, um, but yeah, I think for me, plus one to charge. Because eights are always then, better. Then you're a blood angel, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're just looking for eights, you know, it's Corn's number. Yeah, you yeah. just need eights. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, so you're looking for, yeah, you get plus one charge. Um, and then, of course, yeah, that like we said, the um, six plus feel no pain. Is, mm. is tip- and then the plus one to hit are typically the three I would aim to go for as quickly as I could, yeah. Yeah, very nice. There you go, people. You want the six plus, plus, plus. Just like the show, yeah. that's what you're after. That's what you need. Um, and I think I think I completely agree with you that it, like as as cool as the combat bits in that table were, it's like I'm looking at these sheets, and if they go into the right things, they're just going to roll over those things anyway. So it's kind of I think I think there's certainly some tech in there, as you say, with auto winning can if get you, you around some targets. Yeah. If you're having to, it's again something I always you know sort of teach as well. But it's it's focusing on looking at your units and thinking. Do I need to amplify the effect that this unit should already do? Or do I need to mitigate some of those weaknesses? And I would yeah. normally say resources come into mitigating weaknesses rather than amplifying, you know, effects. It does two things. It keeps me in control of the game. It allows me to set the tempo of the game. It allows me to score points when I want to score them rather than relying on, you know, I can essentially mitigate dice rolls. Mm-hmm. Um you know so much it also gives my opponent a better game as well because we're going to keep this game going for longer for both of us it's going to be a tighter closer game rather than oh great i did this wombo combo and i did you know abc and all of a sudden you're tabled or i mm. failed to do abc so now i'm just you know the game <laughs> over that's a not that's not a great interact you know interaction yeah. from either of us we want a good close game where you know yeah. we finish that and you go oh that was the best that's the hardest game i've had to play in ages that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly the response I want. Not, yeah. oh, this game was done in 20 minutes. Should we go to the bar? Like, no, yeah. I didn't sign up for yeah. this. So, um, again, yeah. Absolutely. No, that's great. And so it, it, feel, it feels like a book that offers that. It's it's a story. There was um, a lad at the, the RTT I was at on on Saturday. Had He had a bunch of big chaos nights, played against a World Eaters guy. Everything ran into everything. It was just a great big carnage of violence in the middle. Everything's chopping everything up, and they just they just look like they're having the absolute best time. Um, yeah. And I think I think I think that's there's something in combat armies for me that do that. I always think I always think combat armies bring that kind of engagement and interaction. Um, but yeah, I think it looks like a really fun time to play World Eat, isn't it? And then see what see what the new edition brings for them. I guess. Do you have any kind of concluding thoughts on the army before we wrap up, Histy? Not really. Um, aside from. A true world eaters player. <laughs> You're gonna take the betrayer. Oh, okay. Anytime, anytime <laughs> I see the betrayer, I'm like, yeah, fair play. Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> That's sick. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite heresy books is Betrayer. Um, and Khan yeah, the Betrayer is. He's such a troubled guy. Such a, you know, he's trying to keep his legion together. His dad is just losing his mind, and actually, it, I'm, I'm not. I, I hate Angron, honestly. Yeah, like, hate book. yeah. He's such a moron. Anyway, but betrayer, <laughs> like, uh, honestly, the guy's he's just trying to hold it all together for everyone. Yeah. and it's just this real kind of sob story, really. And yeah, 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 yeah. His all his brothers are just losing their minds as well and he's just trying to keep it all together it's, it it's kind of reminds story. me of me a little bit 
<laughs> just, trying to, just trying to keep it together. You, you empathise with Khan the Betrayer. That's a new one. <laughs> I do. I feel like we've got a lot in common. I feel like we've got a lot in common. And he's got this, like the relationship with him and his, um, like the world, the word bearers. Um, I can't remember, like the fist. He's like the first demon prince. Um He's like a Gore Vorbach, like the leader of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like their relationship is awesome. Mm. Um, in the and I, no, if you haven't read Betrayer, go and listen to it because the ending of Betrayer is just so good. He gets yeah. Erebus, you know, who everybody just hates. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know anybody that likes Erebus, and if you do like no, it, he, we can't be friends. He's not popular, is Erebus? <laughs> No, if you're listening to this thing, oh yeah, but Erebus, no, we can't be friends. Okay, I'm laying it down right now. Um, <laughs> a man's got to have a girl. Your, <laughs> yeah, you can take it up with me on Instagram if you want, but there you go. Um, the fact that he gets him in the fighting pit and just, he just oh. smashes him time after time, <laughs> picks him back up and he's like, just wants to pick him up so he can smash him again. It's just so good. Um Epic. Oh yeah, read out, read that story. So that's my final thoughts. No, um, that's a great, that's a great place to end. And absolutely, <laughs> go and go and let's go and listen to or read for Trev, guys. Um, I so say they've got some really compelling lore. Khan the model is an awesome model and absolutely slaps. So yeah, give him a run out if you're a world player. I said the true, true world players run whatever the hell they like anyway, right? Then they're, they're not going to be stopped by something like what they're what they're supposed to take anytime soon. So brilliant, yeah. Steve. Thank you. That was that was loads of fun, really informative and and really really useful. So do you, do you have any plugs um, that you'd like to? mate sort of wrap up the show anything you'd like to promote while you're here yeah i i would if you don't mind and this <laughs> I is something that i would <laughs> um so obviously as you're probably well aware 10th edition is on the way um this is something that i'm very very excited about um, i really am i know it's going to be absolutely awesome so we're going to be at Vanguard Tactics, we're going to be putting on three new courses. Like we've had a lot of questions about the Academy. When's our next Academy launch? Obviously, um, I had to sit and wait because I didn't want to run an Academy launch through this kind of interim period. I didn't want to, yeah. you know, if people sign up for a ninth edition Academy, this get announced. So I've had to wait, obviously, because I wanted to make sure we release the next Academy intake uh, with 10th edition, you know, would be awesome. So we're going to run three programs. One of them is a basically what we call our basic training. So if you've never played Warhammer 40k before and you want to learn 10th edition, um, then this course is going to be perfect for you. Uh, so that's our basic training course. But then we also have, which I think will be most relative uh, or most relevant to your listeners, which will be our accelerator program. And our accelerator program is going to be essentially seven to eight days of education, video format. We're also going to do live support every single day for the people that sign up early is like a, to kind of kickstart the program and get your sort of you know name down early on the sheet for it and this accelerator program is going to help you seamlessly transition from ninth to tenth so it's going to teach you everything you need to know about all the different uh, nuances of the game um, and, and it's going to help you get there and then obviously that will lead into an academy if people want to join and get that full academy experience that you might be aware of which goes over for 16 weeks where we cover every single phase of the game and nuance so um yeah to really help people feel confident so yeah. that they can play anytime, anywhere, and against anyone. So if you want to find out any more about any of those courses, get your name on the waiting list, then all you need to do is head over www.vanguardtactics.com forward slash 10th, so 10TH. Yeah. Um, if you go there, just pop your email address in and you'll be on the waiting list to find out more about you know, the courses. You can signal your interest in you know what you're looking for, um, but it's no like you have to buy anything. It's just, hey, um, here's my name and my email address. So when you release your courses, Steve, 
I'll be first to hear about it. Okay, and that's the place to go, basically. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much. And yeah, just my to add my own little Vanguard um, Academy story on the end there. One of one of one of my own teammates was was an Academy graduate, and I think I played him in what, like either his first or second like actual game since since sort of doing the Academy, and smashed me. And it was his first, like his first, first, get, first, like one of first or second game in. I was, I was like, give, do an intro game, like get a sense of, you know, how, how is he, how's he doing? You, you never know when someone like that, right? So I sort of, but turned, turned up and just wonderful. He's you know, one of one of my very best forty k friends, wonderful player, and you know, the academy had, had set him right, right up out the gate. He was, you know, fantastic. We had a wonderful game, and he was, he was just so on point, so sharp already. So, whatever you're doing, there's in there, Steve, it works, and it works well. Um, oh, brilliant, thank you very much, mate. Thank you so much for your time, Steve. Um, hopefully we'll chat again soon. Really excited to keep um, keep chatting with all you Vanguard lads and I'm really excited to see what you do in 10th edition. I'm, I'm sure it's a very busy and very exciting time for you guys. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's been great chat. No problem at all. Thank you very much and thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>